Welcome to Harvest Mission Community Church. You are listening to one of our sermons. Uh, hopefully you've turned to 1 Peter chapter 4. We'll be looking at the uh, first 11 verses of this chapter. And I think one of the reasons why we as uh, Christ followers uh, have a hard time going through difficulties and trials in our lives is because we forget the gospel story. The gospel story that God is writing, he has written already so far to this point and what he's doing right now and what he will do into the future. And we forget that story of what God has been doing. We forget about God's power and the things that he delivered us from and just a new purpose in life and everything that we're doing. We forget that, especially when things are very difficult And we forget that what he's doing right now, he's doing it in such a way that we could become more like his son, Jesus Christ. And that's why I'm wondering what would happen if we always had our salvation story before us, constantly being reminded of what Jesus Christ did uh, did on the cross, how we came to actually know him. And came to a point where we surrendered our lives and said, God, not my will, but your will. I want to follow you. Do do you remember that moment when you actually made that decision to believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior? Do you remember the location? Do you remember some of the people that you were around and you were with as you think about your salvation story? And I think this is one of the reasons why it's important that we constantly retell it and retell our testimonies to other people in our lives. Uh, One of the things that we do in our missions projects is that when we go on these summer missions projects, we have this thing called lifestimonies. Now, we made up that word. We like to make up a lot of words. So pretty much a lifestimony is, those of you who went on a missions project with us, as you know, is pretty much your life story. Sharing it from, some people like to start it from birth, and some people skip over that, and they just start from, you know, junior high or elementary school. But pretty much it's your life story, but sharing it as a testimony of who God is. So that's why we call it a lifestimony. And every single time we do this, sometimes we do it uh, on the field when we're there. Sometimes, depending, uh, we do it during some of the preparation time so we can get to know one another but one of the beautiful things that we experience when we do these life testimonies is that I'm able to kind of get a little bit of window into their lives. Kind of what makes them tick? What were some of those big significant moments that impacted their lives? And also I've, I've been in situations where I'm listening to some of these people because I might have interacted with them on a Sunday, but I never really got to know them for various reasons. And then as they're sharing their stories, it's almost kind of like this aha effect where you realize, Oh, ah, ha. That's why they are the way they are. Not, not in a judgmental attitude, but it's just like there were all these gaps. But as they're telling their story, you realize, oh, that makes sense. Oh, that's why sometimes when they were sharing certain things that they were struggling with, it, it just all comes together. And that's why it's a powerful thing. It's about being known and also to know other people, which is a basic desire that every single human being has. So what I wanted to do at this moment is I wanted to remind us of this gospel story for each one of us. And I wanted to share like a two minute video really quick of somebody actually presenting the gospel. And it's it's just from the very most important, the most important message 
that you will ever hear. And I, I when I was listening, I, I realized that he just explained it from beginning to the end. And I, I thought it was pretty effective. So I, I want you to watch it and then we'll come back. And so hopefully this will trigger why you believe in what you believe. Why is it so important to believe some of the tenets and the uh, different aspects of the gospel message? It's not just Jesus died on the cross, but there's a, a lot of stuff that's entailed in the gospel. So let's watch this together. Amen. That was clear, wasn't it? And I don't know about you, but as he was talking, it's just flood of just truths. Uh, hopefully it hits you. And this is the reason why many of us have made that decision to receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. This, this is the gospel story, the salvation story, story about God's love, God's power to transform our lives. The reason why I want to start off with this topic of this gospel story is because that is literally the very thing that will fuel you to live this life for the glory of God, no matter what you face. And as you remember, the first three chapters of the book of 1 Peter, if you remember, this whole book is just talking about a living hope. That it's a hope that is not of this world. It's a hope that's not just wishful thinking, but it's so different. It is a hope that is based on not only truth, but on the promises of God. And he has not failed in any one of his promises yet. And he will never fail it. Because what he says, he will do. And that's why this life of this living hope comes through the life of Jesus Christ. That's why I think when you go through sufferings, difficulties, trials, uh, you can still trust and still obey God regardless of your situation because of this hope that we have. That That's pretty much in, in a nutshell of what we've been talking about the last three chapters. And that will affect your relationships with people around you, whether it's with government, whether it's people in authority, whether it's in a marriage, whether it's in just friendships, whatever it is, it will literally transform your relationships because no longer are you just listening to someone here on this earth, but you're really obeying God in the midst of the difficulties that you're facing. So today we're going to start chapter four and we're going to talk about the importance of stewarding God's grace that we have experienced in our lives. And so then through that, it will help us through the difficulties that we will be facing. And hopefully through that even, we can help other people. So let me give us the one thing. The one thing is simply this, that God's grace fuels us to run the race. It is God's grace that's going to help us and fuel us to continue to run this race that he has called us to run. So I'm going to talk about two things that I want to present to us and talk about the importance of understanding how God's grace fuels us to run the race. The first thing we want to talk about is we have to have a proper attitude. We have to have the proper attitude. In order for us to run this race here on earth, we cannot do it on human strength. We're just too weak and we'll always fall short. Therefore, we need His grace to help us, to fuel us, to strengthen us so that we can be faithful all the way to the end. So what is the proper attitude? What is it that we need? And it's really how we are going through the things of our lives with this lens of the gospel. That is the attitude. It is literally seeing everything in your life with this lens of the gospel, the good news, what Jesus Christ has done for us. 
And I think this will cause us to have some perspective in life as well as a heart of gratitude. Those who have genuinely experienced the gospel, not just head knowledge, but in their lives, they've experienced it powerfully. They are some of the most grateful people that I have met in my life. They are also some of those people that have the greatest perspective. Like they can see something that is horrible in a situation, but they're able to see something that maybe many of us cannot see because we don't have that kind of perspective. Let me just give you one perspective. I, I was thinking about this and I was in conversations with many different people regarding this virus. And if you think about it, it just, it just stinks. It's bad because jobs, it's going to get affected. There's going to be probably many different companies that have to shut down. They're downsizing, which means then there are people who will lose jobs or won't even get paycheck. Praise God. There's some generous people who are willing to pay like two weeks of people's salaries and all this kind of stuff. Some great testimonies that are coming out. But as you're thinking about this whole coronavirus and everything that has happened thus far, like, I don't know if anyone can say, wow, this has been really awesome. But when you pull back a little bit to gain perspective, then something that is bad, you realize maybe God is up to something, even in the midst. And we're not saying God created the disease. That was part of the fall because of sin in this world. We have diseases. We have death. We have all these things. But even in the midst of bad things, God, because he's good, he can take something bad and he could turn it around and redeem it for something good. So as I was thinking about this, one of the thoughts that came to my mind is this. Uh, and I'm just speaking from my own just personal opinion as I'm just trying to discern, God, what is it that you're doing? As you know, it's been really hard even the last five years of situation that's going on in China. In fact, I thought it was amazing that within the last 15 to 20 years, China has rose to, rose to probably one of the biggest uh, economic powerhouse. It is literally advancing in the military and, and pretty much it's, it's, it's running neck to neck in many ways with United States and some of these other Western countries. And I was just thinking, wow, the Chinese people have a lot of power because if someone makes a comment that maybe someone doesn't like or offends China, like all the nets and, you know, those people on the internet, they just say, we're going to boycott you. And then every single, uh, company they bow down and they literally apologize on camera all this stuff and it's amazing and i think those of you who come from chinese background here i mean it, it's it's a good time to be proud to be chinese in many ways uh coming from this kind of background but one of the things i realized is that that also creates an environment where you think you're invincible and i was thinking about this i said even with this situation it's kind of humbling a lot of people and then I'm like, why is that happening? And I'm thinking to myself, what if this is the very thing that God will use to allow certain doors to open that we have not seen open before? I was also thinking about all over the world because some of my friends, some of uh, just other people, uh, they're either going online. There's some churches here in Hong Kong that went online. Some of them are slowly trying to meet. Uh, together, maybe the offering was going a little bit too low. I don't know, but they're they're meeting uh, slowly, opening up some of their churches. And I was just thinking about this, and I realized that we we come out of a generation where bigger is better, like these mega churches. 
But if you look at scripture and how the church really exploded from the book of Acts, there were just really uh, micro churches, small churches, or house churches. And I, I just found out that even in the States, they will not allow a gathering of more than 100 people. They're putting limits. They've canceled a lot of the sporting events. And so I'm thinking, God, what is it that you're trying to do? And please don't misunderstand me. I am not against mega churches because they're, they're able to do certain things that smaller churches cannot do. But as you know, sometimes the bigger the church, the more anonymity there are or there is and you can go in there and no one knows who you are you just listen to the message you enjoy the worship and then you leave and you live your life there's no accountability there's no sense of a body of christ that you're a part of there is no responsibility if you will and you just kind of have this entertainment mentality i'm gonna receive something and then i'm gonna leave and so what's happening right now globally even in the last couple weeks more so a lot of the churches are now meeting more so in some of the smaller groups. And I'm thinking, isn't that what it was supposed to be like? Where you're known and you could also know? So if out of this virus, we will recapture the heart of biblical community in all our churches, all over the world, like Capital C Church, the Universal Church, can you imagine what would happen? I think there will be a revival. And so these are the kind of things that happen when we talk about the proper attitude is that you really begin to see things not from your perspective, but from God's perspective. You begin to look at certain situations and even though they're bad, you can have a heart of thankfulness because you know that God is still in control. And so when we think about God's grace being the fuel to help us to run this race, There's this attitude that we need. And this attitude will affect so many areas of your life. And Peter talks about this and he highlights four attitudes or four areas that the gospel attitude can affect. So I want to look at that. So the first one is this. Our attitude towards our pain that oftentimes comes through sin. So let's go ahead and read verse 1. Listen to what the Word of God says. It says, since therefore Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourselves with the same way of thinking for whoever has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. Let's just pause here. I'm going to try to take verse by verse. Uh, We see the word therefore, which means that now Peter is trying to connect what he was talking about in regards to Christ's suffering in the previous section of chapter 3, verse 18. So just quickly look at chapter 3, verse 18, as it talks about the suffering that Christ went through, which is part of the gospel message. And so since Christ suffered and then he died for us on the cross, now we have been made right with God and we're able to have this relationship with God. So he's connecting what we talked about last week in chapter 3, starting from verse 18. And now he says, since therefore, and just becoming a Christian does not mean all your problems will go away. I I hope none of you share the gospel in that way. Like just be a Christian and your life will be so much better because it's not about the prosperity. It's not just about like you feeling good about yourself because the same problems that you probably had, you will continue to have. You will struggle with it. God will help you, but problems 
just doesn't go away. And so here's Peter, who then understands that because here are these believers who were pre-Christians, they weren't believers before, now they're believers, and they're still struggling with different things. And what does he say? He says, your problem's not going to go away, but he says, arm yourself with the same way of thinking. I want you to note that the phrase arm yourself refers to a soldier putting on an armor and getting ready for battle. That's a very important understanding. You need to know this. When Peter says here to arm yourself, he's referencing to a soldier who's about to go into battle and he's putting on his armor. So that's why the same imagery is used by Apostle Paul. If you remember in to the people of Ephesus, listen to what he says in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 11 and verse 13. He says this, and read the yellow section with me in one voice. It says this, put on the whole armor of God. So that put on is arm yourself, that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. So this idea of putting on or taking up or arming yourself. So as a soldier is focused and determined and careful in putting on this armor, the Christians are supposed to have the same attitude and a way of thinking. We are in war, spiritual war. And that is why he's saying you're going to go through a lot of stuff in your life. And you got to have the same attitude and way of thinking that Christ did as he went through suffering. You're going to suffer. You're going to go through difficulties. And I think this is something that God is trying to build in many of us is to have this kind of attitude, the attitude of Christ, how he saw things, how he perceived us different situations. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through 8. Listen to what it says and read the yellow with me. It says this, You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on a cross. This same attitude of Christ is an attitude of humility, attitude of a servant. So without complaining, trusting, believing. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, bravo through verse 3 in the New Living Translation. Listen to what it says. And let us run with endurance the race God has set before us. We do this by keeping our eyes on Jesus, the champion who initiates and perfects our faith. Because of the joy awaiting him, he endured the cross, regard, disregarding his shame. Now he is seated in the place of honor beside God's throne. Think of all the hostility he endured from sinful people. Then you won't become weary and give up. See, once again, think. Think about, and other translations, it says consider. To have the same way of thinking of Christ. To have the same attitude of Christ. This is the kind of attitude and mindset that will help us to overcome the struggle and the pain and the things that come in our fight with sin. The second area of where we need this proper attitude so that God's grace can fuel 
us in running this race is our not only our attitude towards pain, but our attitude towards purpose. Look at verse 2, and you will notice this. It says this, So as to live for the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, but for the will of God. It's interesting that Peter brings up the importance of time and doing God's will. The phrase, the rest of the time in the flesh, gives us this perspective and also the sense of purpose. Let me, let me put it this way so you can understand, I think, what Peter is trying to communicate here. When we know that our time is short here on this earth, in our flesh, as we breathe and live our lives, when we know that it's short, we will do everything we can to make sure that our lives are lived to the fullest. If you don't believe me, if some of you have ever been around people who are on their deathbed, or those people who were just recently diagnosed with a terminal cancer, or they just found out that they might not have very long to live, have conversations with some of those people, and it's amazing the stuff that they talk about and the stuff that they don't talk about. Like, they're not busy chatting away and gossiping. Those are people who think they're going to live forever here on this earth. Petty stuff. But when you know you only have a month left, two weeks left to live, you know your time is short. The rest of the time that you have here, you want to make every single moment that you have very, very precious. That's why a lot of times they would want to spend those times with their loved ones, family members. This is the reason why they call up people and say, I want to just ask for your forgiveness. They reconcile because they're coming to the end of their lives. There's a sense of urgency. There's a sense of purpose and why they do what they do. So if we as Christ followers really believe that Jesus Christ can come back in any moment. Now, a lot of us, we know this here, but we don't live like it. Can you imagine if Jesus Christ is, let's say he announces, I'm coming back tonight. At 9 p.m., 2100 hour. Some of you are going to be rejoicing because you don't have to finish that paper. (laughs) Some of you don't even have to stress out because now what? You you don't have to worry about finding that job. Some of you are going to be hallelujah because you just don't like your boss. Do, do, do you see what I'm trying to say here? But that's not the case for many of us. It's because we know that he could come back any moment, but in our hearts, we don't believe it. So that's why we fret. That's why we get worried. That's why we get anxious. That's why we try to control. That's why we try to live our lives for ourselves. What if he came back today? Is your life in order that you're willing to say, God, If today is the last day I will live, I'm ready. That you're living your life with purpose, that there will be no regret. That everything that you have been called to do, that you're doing. When you have eternity in view, that's when you want to do the will of God. Investing our lives in things that will last 
because it's about eternity now. And please don't get me wrong. There's nothing wrong with making money. There's nothing wrong with buying your own flat. There's nothing wrong with possessing good things and eating at nice restaurants and going on nice vacations. There is nothing wrong with that. God has made all things and he said it's good. So praise the Lord for all that. But I think for some of us where we need a heart check is this, that some of us are pursuing so much of the things of this world that if God tells us this is your last day to live, or even if you live 20 more years and you amass a lot of stuff in your life, all I'm saying is that when you die, you cannot take any of these things with you. You cannot take your car. You cannot take your apartment. You cannot take... But I'm going to tell you this. When I look at scripture, there are only a handful of things, small, just within one hand you can count, that will last for eternity. God, He's eternal. Souls are eternal. And the Bible says that the Word of God is eternal. If these three things are clearly eternal, then the question is, what are we investing in? in our lives. That's why to me, investing in people, because souls are on the line, it is worth your whole life. It is worth their sacrifice. And I think somehow we got it all messed up. We, we forget those things that are eternal and those things that are temporal and we make the temporal as if it's eternal and those things that are eternal, we just make it temporal. What would it be like if we got that right sense of purpose in life? I know some of you always sit there like, I don't know my purpose. I don't know what I'm passionate about. And I said it on Friday and I'll say it again. If you have no purpose in your life, and I don't want to say you're a loser or anything like that, you just don't know what you're doing, then all I tell people is borrow a purpose, borrow a vision. Our church has a vision. Our church has a mission that's rooted in scripture. If you have no direction in your life, borrow that to multiply churches and campuses and in cities to transform the next generation among all the nations. And so whether you're studying or working, you're headed towards, I want to see the multiplication of not just churches in terms of a physical building, but people that are on different college campuses, that are in different global cities around the world. And so we can reach the next generation because that's worth giving your life for. Because one of these days you're going to die and then what are you going to leave behind? That's why so many universities have names, Chinese names, up on their buildings. Because that's what they want to leave behind. Because they can't take the money with them. But can you imagine if you impacted a whole generation of people? You don't need to donate a money to get your name somewhere. Like their lives will be the literally advertisement of your life. Your investment. That's why listen to what it says in, in the verse 3. I, I, I'm going to, excuse me, in, in, in verse 2. 
when you see this, this idea, once again, of this rest of the time. Man, some of us will have 40 more years. That's a lot of time. But not really. In a blink of an eye. I hope you will invest the rest of the time that you have on things that are eternal. Live purposefully. The third area of having this proper attitude that he talks about is not only our attitude towards our pain and our purpose in doing the will of God, but we see the third area is our attitude towards our past. Read verse 3 with me. It says this, For the time that is past suffices for doing what the Gentiles want to do, living in sensuality, passions, drunkenness, orgies, drinking parties, and lawless idolatry. Now, the Apostle Peter was trying to help the believers to remember where they came from. To help them to remember their life before they came to Christ. And as I shared earlier, it's a good exercise to retell your life's testimony that this was my life before coming to Christ. Look at the message translation of verse 3. You've already put in your time in that God-ignorant way of life. <laughs> I just love how the message translation, you know why I like it so much? It's blunt and up in your face. I, that's why I like it. Like you already did your time. You are stupid when you lived your life before coming to Christ. That's the SKV. Parting night after night, a drunken and profligate life, which is kind of like an extravagant, kind of like the prodigal son kind of life. Now it's time to be done with it it for good. This kind of lifestyle was lived by those people who lived in this Greco-Roman world And as I shared about before, it was a lawless in many ways that people will just immorally just do whatever they were. They were even just, there were a lot of perversions. There were a lot of things that as a Jewish person or even a follower of Christ, they could not follow because it went against everything that we see in Scripture. And so here they were struggling as this is how they used to live. And now after coming to Christ, they realize, I cannot continue to live this way. So now they're struggling with the things of the past. Because many of these believers were first-generation Christians. Uh, Some of you know that this past week, uh, I went to Thailand. Those of you who don't know, that's where we're going to be headed uh, most likely this year uh, for summer missions project. But uh, just... It was, it was a really good trip for me, at least me because I think God used this to just remind me of my own past. Um, because we, I have some friends there who are missionaries and pastors. And some of these guys I haven't talked to for years. And I want to show you a picture of uh, uh, Pastor Danny. I don't know if you can really see it. He, he's over here. And then this is his wife, uh, his two boys. This guy eats a lot, my God. And... Uh, <laughs> Yeah, the, he's gonna go off to college uh, in the fall, in the autumn. He's gonna go off to college, but he, he's only like a, a first year in high school. And these two, um, they were uh, sisters who are sisters in Christ, 
uh, from the East Coast in the United States who decided to give one year of their lives or two years of their lives in serving in this place called Mingle House, which is a house that helps those who uh, are orphans or those who have been abused. And so he built this huge um, complex to be able to house them. And it's great. He's been doing this for 10 years. But even prior to that, 10, 15 some years, he was going back and forth to Cambodia, to Thailand and different places and reaching out to many of those who are uh, helpless and without hope. And so he's been ministering to them. But anyway, I, I've known Danny since high school. And the thing about Danny and I is that uh, we, um, we're not very proud of it. Uh, if we were in the Greco-Roman world, uh, we would be right there. And so, we, like, he has a past, and I have a past. And so the reason why I enjoyed my time there was, like, even though I didn't see him, we were trying to calculate, how long has it been? And it's, it was almost close to 25 plus some years, maybe 27 years that we haven't seen each other. But you know those people that you had enough past with that even though you don't see each other for 27, 20 some eight years, when you come together, you feel like like nothing has changed. Hopefully not the Greco-Roman world thing, but in terms of just who we are as people, the, the way God shaped us and made us. And so all we did in these several days I was there, we just reminisced. Oh my God, do you remember that one? <laughs> you know, the, the, that was our whole conversation. We're like, oh my God. And like, what happened to that person? Oh, I don't know. Oh, that person, you know, he's a pastor now. No. And you're like, we're like reminiscing. We're like talking. It was just, it was great. And I'm sharing this because in that time that I was there and all these conversations we had, we were just reminiscing people who, who went into the ministry who are no longer pastors anymore. They dropped out. You know, and we're just sharing like some of our heartaches and different things. Like each night when I would go to my room and I was just kind of reflecting and thinking about this, I, I just, this great sense of gratitude started filling my heart. Because I knew, I know in my mind, and this something that I always put before me is, I know what my life was like before Christ. The things that I pursued after the things that I was so easily pleased by, but I realized it left me more empty. And same with Danny. And so as we were talking together, it just filled both of our hearts that it's only by the grace of God. Because there were so many of us that started the race, but now just a few of us are in it amongst that circle that we hung out with together. And that really humbled me, realizing, God, I'm where I am today only by your grace. When I think about where my life was prior to knowing you, like, I don't know where I would be right now. Like, these are the kind of things that kind of God was swirling around my mind, even as I was laying down to go to sleep. And this is the kind of thing that Peter is trying to tell the believers here in Asia Minor. As they were going through persecution and difficulties and trials in their lives, he's saying, remember your past. Remember what kind of life you lived before Christ rescued you. And I think it's so easy for Satan to use our past life to discourage us. But remember, I, for me, it, it doesn't discourage me. I mean, well, it makes me realize how stupid I was. But 
when I reflect back, it just helps me to grow in gratitude, thankfulness. I think this is the reason why Apostle Peter probably always remembered denying Jesus three times. Can you imagine? He probably never forgot. Even though God restored him, Jesus restored him. He probably, that's part of his gospel story. He probably never forgot when he denied Jesus three times. It kept him humble. This is why the Apostle Paul even always remembered where he came from. 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 12 through 17 in the NIV, it says this, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has given me strength, that he considered me faithful, appointing me to his service. Even though I was once a blasphemer and a, a persecutor and a violent man, I was shown mercy because I acted in ignorance and unbelief. Read verse 14 here. The grace of our Lord was poured out on me abundantly, along with the faith and love that is in Christ Jesus. Here's a trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I was shown mercy, so that in me, the worst of sinners, Christ Jesus might display his unlimited patience as an example for those who will believe on him and receive eternal life. Now the, to the King, eternal, immortal, invisible, the only God, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. Paul knew who he was, especially from the past. And he knows now, as he's writing this, who he is at that moment. If you want to run this race, especially with all the stuff that you're facing now and the things you will face, the hardships that are coming are yet to come, You have to understand, you cannot run this on your own. You need His grace. And in order for you to run it as you experience His grace, you need this proper attitude. And you get this as you remember not only your past, but your purpose, and even your attitude as you go through difficult times of pain. Let me close with the last area or finishing off the first point here, our attitude towards the perishing, those who are pre-Christians or those who are falling away. Look at verse 4 through 6. It says this, With respect to this, they are surprised when you do not join them in the same flood of debauchery and they malign you. But they will give an account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is why the gospel was preached even to those who are dead, that though judged in the flesh the way people are, they might live in the spirit the way God does. What Apostle Peter is mentioning is that he is addressing that the pre-Christians will not fully understand you. He, they will not understand your decisions. They will not comprehend why you do what you do. Now, you have to remember that these Gentile believers, we're talking about they, they didn't have any Jewish background or anything. They were just like total pagans. That they used to do all these things that their friends used to do before they came to Christ. And so these, these pre-Christians, these Gentiles, they will now look at their friends who are saying that they're Christians and they will look at them and say, why aren't you doing the things that we're doing? You used to, you used to, Drink the most amongst us. <laughs> you know, that kind of stuff, you know. You used to do all that. You were so crazy. And they're like, <laughs> yeah. And so they're confused. 
They're like, what is this antisocial behavior that I see? Why aren't you hanging out with us? That's what's going on. And so here's Peter trying to remind the Gentile believers that you are going to be attacked. You are going to be made fun of because they don't understand what's happening in your life because they're not believers. Now, I think many of us, we go to the extremes when it comes to reaching out to our friends, co-workers, family members. Either we don't stand firm on our faith, which causes us to sometimes avoid some of those hard conversations, or maybe just because we don't know what to say. So our witness is very shallow. Or we go to the other extreme where we shove the gospel down their throats. Belief. And then they're just like, whoa, dude, like, I don't want to be around you. And I was thinking about my own life and I realized that I missed so many great opportunities after I really committed my life to Christ. Some of you might not know, they say the best time to evangelize is within the first two years of salvation. Because you're still connected to a lot of those people who are just like you, who don't know Christ. So they know you. So within the first two years, if you live out this gospel message because it's deeply impacted you, you can literally become one of the greatest evangelists. You can reach out to a lot of your friends and a lot of your family members. But as many of you know, it's not that easy. And a lot of it is because I think it's maturity. A lot of it is also just our own dependence on ourselves. So as we're trying to be a good witness, as we're trying to share the gospel, in fact, a lot of our friends and some of our family members, they're getting angry and they're even avoiding us. And so in that sense, I missed some of those kind of opportunities because I was on the other extreme. I was shoving the gospel down everyone. What, what we, you cannot do that anymore. And they're like, why can't I? They weren't even believers. I'm like, you just can't, you know? And they're like, okay, we don't want to talk to you anymore. And I realized then I swung to the other side. I'm like, you know what? I shouldn't hang out with these guys because I'm getting tempted. And this, and I miss these key moments to be able to pour into them and share about Jesus Christ. That's why we need to pray for our pre-Christian friends. We need to pray for our family members. What What is the proper attitude that you have as you think about the things that are going to come up in your life, the race that you are supposed to run? When you think about His grace in your life that you don't deserve, are you able to look at some of these areas of your life and say, this is the attitude I need? And hopefully it will produce a heart of thankfulness and gratitude. So how about us as we think about this? Like, Does your heart break for those things or those people who don't know God or don't know Christ? I'm wondering if some of us have forgotten our gospel story. And how God delivered us and saved us from a lot of junk. I'm wondering what is your attitude towards difficulties and sufferings and different things going on in your life. Let me quickly close with this second point. As he comes to the end of this section. Now he's saying with this proper attitude. He says your aspirations, the things that you're living for in the midst of suffering, should be different. So the second point is we must have the proper aspiration. What do you aspire 
to do in your life? You know, whenever I ask this question to people, you always get different answers, different responses. And I always tell people, you could always find out their values, their mindset. You could find out their priorities. You could find out a lot of things by having them answer that question. What are your aspirations? And as a Christ follower, our response to that question, what we are aspiring to do with our lives, it should be about living for the glory of God. If it's not, then I'm telling you, your aspirations are either too small or it is misplaced. That's why look at verse 7. Look at what it says in verse 7. The end of all things is at hand. Therefore, be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Here's Apostle Peter bringing the end-time reality. Because he always knew that Jesus Christ can come back in any moment. So the end of all things is at hand. And he says, that's why you have to be self-controlled and sober-minded. Because when it comes to the end, you don't know when it is, but as it's coming to the end, if you're freaking out, you're not going to be ready. So he says, be self-controlled, sober-minded, which is clear-minded. And so that you can what? Pray. You won't be able to pray when you're going crazy, worried all the time. As I was reading this, I'm like, man, we are, the end times, it is at hand. Do you know why I know? Here's some more pictures. It's toilet rolls. This is toilet paper. Look at this. Anyway, I will not share how I feel about some of these things. But anyway, if you have a Jesus shirt, you go wear it. Lord, empower you. But just make sure you don't ruin his witness, okay? Look at this. <laughs> Is there one more? I think there's one more. No, that's it? Okay. You know, with this COVID-19, I was thinking about, and I realized people are going crazy. They are not sober-minded <laughs> there's no self-control. With all the hoarding of the toilet paper, all the other stuff, and I'm realizing more and more they are controlled by fear, panicking. There's nothing wrong with getting a little bit extra just in case, but how many times are you going to go to the bathroom? So he's saying, be sober-minded, be self-controlled so that you could pray especially during these hard times, during these difficult times, the trials that you're facing, persecution that you're facing. And then he finishes off this section with these four verses, and we notice three things that must continue to aspire for to respond to God with gratitude. You have to do these. This is what we're created for. The first is keep showing love. Verse 8. Listen to what it says. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly since love covers a multitude of sins. Peter encourages the believers to keep loving one another earnestly because he's assuming that during difficult times, it is easy to sin against other people. Because why? And people getting hurt. Because during difficult times, who do we think about the most all the time? 
ourselves. We're selfish. Hoarding of the paper, our toilet paper, that's, that's just wrong. Unless you have a really active bowel movement, all I can say, that's wrong. Who are you loving just besides yourself? So he knew that when things are hard, we always will turn to ourselves and forget that we are called to love. And this is the reason why he says that when you love, it covers a multitude of sins because it requires forgiveness. That's what we should be aspiring for. Are we more loving, especially during difficult times? The second thing is we got to keep sharing our lives. Look at verse 9. It says this, show hospitality to one another without grumbling. The idea of hospitality is rooted all throughout the Old Testament and the New Testament. Romans chapter 12 verse 13 in the ESV says this, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Other translation says practice hospitality, which means it doesn't come naturally. You got to practice it you got to do it the message translation says be inventive in hospitality there's no one way to show hospitality there's so many different ways to do it some of you can invite them over to your place and have a meal together you can go out to a restaurant and you can show hospitality that way there's so many different ways to show hospitality and this is the part that i think is cool that some of us we totally miss in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 2, listen to what it says in the NLT. It says this, Don't forget to show hospitality to strangers, for some who have done this have entertained whom? Angels without realizing it. That when you show hospitality, you show love, guess what? You actually might be entertaining angels. So keep showing love, keep sharing your life. And the third and last thing is keep serving others. Look at verse 10 and 11. As each has received a gift, use it to serve one another as good stewards of God's varied grace. Whoever speaks as one who speaks oracles of God, whoever serves as one who serves by the strength that God supplies in order that in everything God may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to him belong glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. It is assumed that every believer has at least one gift and it's, it is all because of his grace. And with that, at least one gift, some of you have two, some of you might have three. It's his prerogative to give to people how many and what gifts he wants to give. You can't be like, oh God, God, I don't like this one. Can we trade? What he gives you is what he wants you to be faithful with. And so it's not only because of his grace, but we once receive this gift, whatever it is, the, the talents and the skills and things that we, it's all part of mixed in there. And that gift that he gives unto us, it says here, you are to use it to serve one another. I want you to look at the word varied. He says, this grace is a varied grace. The New American Standard Bible says manifold. That means it has multiple ways of displaying itself. The New Living Translation says great variety of spiritual gifts. 
which then encourages me because my giftings are not some of your giftings. And some of your giftings, which I think are awesome giftings, I don't have. That makes us interdependent. We need each other. That's what makes church great. Because when everyone with their gifts all serve one another and help build up the house of God here in Hong Kong, because we're all built into a spiritual house. We talked about that in chapter 2. That as we're being built up into the spiritual house with all our spiritual gifts, when we serve one another, we function and we do things and we will accomplish a lot more than ever before. And some of you know, like our frustration, I mean, like two weeks ago, we showed you our budget and I'm kind of praying through this. I'm like, Lord, what? I don't even know if we're going to be able to make this year, especially in light of it. So we're, we have to adjust. And it doesn't help when you have a college student, a lot of them, in your church. Because they're, they're the ones who think $30 for food is too expensive. That's why some of you are gifted with making money. That's a, I, I really believe it's a gift. So I'm like, I don't have that gift. Uh, we know, we know you don't have it, okay? But some of you do. And I would say, use it. Some of you have to get the generosity. And whenever there's a need, you always step up. And you feel good when you use it because you realize this is what I was created for. Use it. Some of you might not have certain resources, but you have other gifts. As you can tell, we're, we're some of us, part, one of our, one of our, let me, let me, sorry, I had kind of one of those brain blurps because my brain was already way over here, but my mouth wasn't moving fast enough. So I'm like, rah, let, let me, let me slow it down. Let me back it up. As you know, like we really value worship in our church. So you can look at it and say, well, if you value worship, then you need more people on worship team and other stuff like that. And I'm sure there are a lot of you who are very talented. But we don't just use a gift. I mean, I'm just using this example to help counter. It's not just about giftings. Because giftings are important, but it's also about the character. And so one of my hope and prayer is this, is that some of you who might have the gifts with music, with arts, videos. I mean, I, I, not to say that all the previous ones were not that good, but this was pretty creative. I always have to, we're in Asia, got to be careful, always be politically correct. That I'm praying and I'm hoping that one of these days we can multiply teams that as you grow in your relationship with Christ and then you realize this is my gift, then you can exercise that. I think there was a call out for any of you who wants to participate in the Easter. It's not really a tryout, but like, try it out. I'm so thankful we got guys who are a little bit tech geeky because when I think about all the stuff that we're trying to do and we're envisioning you know it's great and even when you heard the announcements of uh, Alive some people who are spirit they're like really excited about that 
I'm like, Lord bless you. That's one less thing that I have to do, but Lord bless you guys. And I'm excited for them. I'm excited for what we're going to do. We're going to be doing this all over the world and in, in our circle that we talked about. We're going to do it during, during the summer and there's going to be a lot of things. And that's why I'm just thinking like, wow, I'm so glad we have a church like this. So different in so many different ways. People from all over the world coming together with all different gifts. And we're using the gift that he has given to us by his grace. And it's varied. It There's a variety of things. And we're using it. That's why we have to aspire to use our time, treasure, and talents for the glory of God. God's gifts are to be used for speaking and ministering. And that's why it talks about the oracles of God and also serving But I want you to understand this. The last part of that verse in 11, it talks about it is this aim and goal, which is for the glory of God. The chief aim in life, the aspiration, the ultimate aspiration is to glorify God and everything should point to that. So when you are working in the workplace, even though you might not really like your job, but it's your attitude and you realize I'm serving God. Studies, you might not like it that much, but God has given you this grace, this gift that you can study. There's so many people who cannot study because they don't have the money. They don't have the resources. But here you are that even though you don't like study, you will do everything possible because you're doing for the glory of God. As you're serving, as you're eating, doing whatever it is, do it all for the glory of God. That's why in 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, Do it all for the glory of God. I'm just going to challenge us to think about some next steps. First of all is this. Maybe maybe I should put it in a form of a question. Are you understanding the gospel in a deeper way? So the first thing is understand the gospel in a deeper way. The second one is unleash gratitude and love from your heart. So if we put that in a form of question, it will be, are you unleashing the sense of gratitude and love in your heart towards others? Being thankful. Stop complaining. Because we don't deserve anything. What you really deserve and what I deserve is hell and the wrath of God and death. That's what we deserve. That's another measurement. If I know if they really know the gospel. People who are deeply gospel fluent rarely complain. Rarely gossip. Because they're just thankful. Because they don't deserve anything. They can always see good in any situation. And third, utilize the gifts that God has given to you. Use it. So are you utilizing the gifts that God has given you? If you're not and you're just using it for yourself and you're just enjoying, oh, I, I'm, I don't have to do that anymore. I'm free of that. Then once again, we, we, your aim to glorify God is your aspiration is all wrong. And some of you, I had talks about this and I've been very blunt with you. Like I am not against passion. I'm not against like you wanting to do something that you really love. But this is my challenge. Some of you are trying to find your passion and your purpose. And the problem with that is that whatever that passion is, it's all about you. 
And what I've been trying to wake some of these younger people up with is this. There are a lot of things in life that you're going to have to do that you don't like to do. That is part of being responsible to a person, to a group of people. And I'm constantly amazed of how self-centered we are. God has given you a lot. So use that to bless other people. Don't make it about yourself. Make it about Him and His glory. I wanted to share with you uh, the life testimony of Ray Comfort. Some of you don't know who he is, but he's a really famous evangelist that loves going on street corners and just preaching the gospel. Some people don't like him because he's too like up in your face. But he just, his heart burns for the gospel. And I'm going to show you this uh, several minute video that talks about his life story, and he's, he's sharing it. And what I want you to understand is this. With all the stuff that he's gone through in his life, like I hope you can feel the heartbeat of a man who has been possessed with this gospel, that his life was deeply affected of the, because of this gospel. And that's why he was willing to lay down his life to continue to preach the gospel and share the gospel with others. I'm hoping that this will be our heart as we think about running this race, as you received His grace, you have to have that proper attitude and that proper aspiration, which is to glorify God in all that we do. So let's watch this and we'll close out. You know, one of the things I realized for some of us I think we have to experience that fertility of life. In Asia, it's all about success and bigger the better. And that's why many of you are pursuing what you're pursuing. And maybe, I don't know, sometimes I, I get very frustrated. I'm like, you know, maybe that's what everyone just has to go through. But I'm praying that not everyone has to go through that breaking process for us to be able to at least respond to God. He is working in us that we can say, God, like this gospel message is so important that it has impacted my life, that it's totally reorienting everything that I do. Many of you are trying to run this race. And it's all by your own strength. And you're feeling a lot of anxiety. You're stumbling and falling along the way. And if it's not His grace who's helping you, I just don't know how you're going to finish the race. This is the reason why we need to turn ourselves in and say, God, we cannot do this on our own. We need you. You're the one who created this. You created me. And so I want to respond. And I pray that as many of you come out on Sundays, we're glad that you come. Some of you are part of our life group ministries, our small groups, and you guys come out to that. But I pray that one of these days you will come to that 
moment, that crossroad. For some of you, it will be the crossroad of death or life. Eternal life or eternal damnation and forever separated from God. As He moves you, because it's not you trying to muster up salvation. But as God has foreknowledge, brought you to our church, introduced you to some people, that's not a coincidence. When you come to that fork in the road, I pray that you will surrender your life and receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior for the first time. You can't keep on playing church or keep on hanging out because all I can say to you is you have to make a decision on who this Jesus Christ is. He's either a liar, a, a, a lunatic, or he is Lord, and you need to give your life to him. The rest of us who are believers, you will also come to a fork in the road. In fact, if I look at my own personal journey, there's a lot of winding forks in the road. And those little forks in the road is a decision where you're going to trust in God or trust in yourself. And every single time you choose the path of trusting Him, I'm telling you right now, it leads to greater things. A deeper understanding of His grace. Just a blessing you weren't even expecting. An opportunity that you weren't even looking for. But every single time we trust in ourselves or we choose ourselves instead of God, His glory, His kingdom, it's going to lead to more dead ends and there's a lot of thorn bushes. The path is really difficult. And God intended it that way because He doesn't want to kill you, but He wants to gently turn you back to His heart so you could obey. Some of you right now are at that crossroad, that fork in the road. And if you're in that first group, I want to encourage you today, what, what better day as we have baptism today? You could just say, I didn't sign up because I came to know Christ today. So I'm going to join it to make a decision. I heard so much about it. I've been even studying the Bible in life group. It doesn't make sense, but for whatever reason, today I'm understanding this. And I want to make a decision to receive Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior. I hope you do that. Just say that simple prayer. Because that's what the scripture says. Believe in your heart. Profess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. And you will be saved. Tell the person that you came with. They'll love to pray with you. You can even come up afterwards and I would love to talk with you. And to those of us who are believers, I'm praying for you. I'm saying, God, may we always choose trust. Your will. Your glory. Your kingdom, not my own. Because what will sadden my heart is to see so many Christians in our church who are just living an average, subpar life. Because that's not what God intended. The Bible tells us that He came to give life and to give it abundantly, to the fullest. And if you're not living that, you're not living the true Christian life that He wants you to live. So Lord, I just pray for all of us here wherever we are in our spiritual journey. I pray that after today, we could take one step, one step closer to your heart, one step closer to the things of your will. And Lord, just remind us that when we go through 
this race and we're going to face many trials and tribulations and difficulties that we need your grace that much more we cannot do this on our own we need you and I pray Heavenly Father that you will stir our hearts that you will be the one you will be the one convicting our hearts that we will say yes to you that we will desire to follow you obey you to do your will no matter how hard it is Lord we want to do your will because it's all about you forgive us Lord when we are so consumed with ourselves so self-centered forgive us Lord we want we want to be able to live for you thank you for listening to the Harvest Mission Community Church podcast for more information visit our website at hongkong.hmcc.net